Welcome to the Disruptor Series Podcast, Adweek's Agency Podcast of the Year. Every episode, we listen to and learn from people who are disrupting business, culture, and life. Here are your hosts, Asha Davis, Strategy Director, and Rob Schwartz, CEO of TBWA Shive Day New York. Well, thank you for tuning in. Our guest today is the intrepid and incredible Allison Witherspoon, a recent recipient of Campaign's Female Frontier Awards and Automotive News' 100 Leading Women. You may also know her as the Vice President CMO of Nissan. Allison, welcome to the Disruptor Series podcast. Thank you. Very, very excited to be here today. Excellent. Awesome. Thank you. Excellent. All right. Well, listen, let's start with a big disruption. You know, we've got to live up to uh, our T-shirts and mugs here. <laughs> it's, uh, it's International Women's Month, and we now have a little bit of an explosion of female CMOs running car brands. The last count, uh, there was something like eight. And you were one of the first. So what is going on here? I was. Yeah, when I think back on it, I think how pretty incredible it is that this has happened so quickly. Because I think when I first took my role, which was almost two years ago, I was one of the first, if not the first. And I think I was only the second in Nissan's history and the first one in almost 20 years at Nissan. I think what we're seeing right now is I think it's a couple of things. I think the first one is female buyers are becoming the predominant automotive buyer. And the previous school of thought was, okay, well, women were influencing the car decision. And that happens at over 80, 80, 90%, but they aren't the ones purchasing the vehicle. But actually now over 50% of cars are bought by women, Hmm. which means that it is very important to have to understand how to reach women. What are their motivators? What are the things that they're looking for in the vehicles? And how can we tailor our shopping experiences, the customer experiences, and even our marketing around that? So I think that's the biggest piece of it. And then I also think a little bit more on the behavioral side. We've been living in this pandemic for a year now. And I think there is definitely, I think what we've seen is a much more leadership shift when it comes to more humane, <laughs> um, kind of more empathetic type of leaders. And I and women naturally lean into that. I think we there are many, many men that are also like this, but I think women are also very empathetic leaders and very servant leaders as well, which I think is important as we're going through this time period now. And even as we come out of hopefully the pandemic, which will very soon be in the rearview mirror for all of us. Yeah. And you're mentioning the pandemic and it's really interesting on the impact that it's had, particularly on the automotive industry. We've really seen a profound shift in the way that consumers even think about their cars. Early fears around mass transit and air travel, not even kind of being an option, right? Really prompted many people to see their personal vehicles as a safe space. That was how you could actually get around. It was almost like a ticket to freedom, if you will, right? Like an extension of your own sort of safe home that you had to stay in. And so I'm really curious about what impact did this have on your organization and really how you connect with your audience and auto buyers in this world? Yeah. And I think this has been fascinating as well. I I think before 2020, there was this sense that everything was really shifting into car sharing, 
personal ownership of vehicles was starting to, or the, at least the perception of it, and the numbers weren't quite there, but perception sometimes can be reality. Yeah. Um, that people were moving away from, from owning vehicles. And what happened in 2020 is that there was actually this resurgence of people's, first of all, in need. And you talked about it became kind of your own personal office space. It became places where you could get away from what was going on in the house, which was lots of family members all needing to be on some type of video device. You know, sometimes you just need to have a break. And then I think as things started to open up a little bit in the summer, it became a way for you to take family vacations that didn't involve getting on a plane. I mean, you could do that safely. And I think over that process, people's relationship and love of their cars started to come back, which is really exciting for us, obviously, as an auto manufacturer. And so I think there was that piece of it. We started to see first-time car buyers started to increase during that time frame, and these are obviously younger buyers, so that started to move the needle. On the Nissan side, what we wanted to do was first, obviously, when the pandemic first hit in March, it really impacted the automotive industry and it was steep and it was immediate. And we had, you know, almost 30% of our dealerships were closed. Mm -hmm. People were fearful of leaving their homes and we've all felt that now. And so I think we had to immediately shift out of selling vehicles into how can we help take care of our customers? Hmm. If you are a frontline worker, how can we help you as you need to kind of go to your job and and help you mobilize that? So there was that piece of it. Then we started to shift in, okay, how can we start to give tips? How can we provide a lot of social media content about how you can use your car? Some of it was very humorous. Some of it was more serious and how you can actually clean the car. We did some things and how can you break from boredom, you know, as you're in these constant Zooms and, and online schooling and things like that. And then we started to shift in. We have a huge product offensive that's been going on for the last year in the middle of this. And we launched 10 new products in 20 months. And most of that was actually during the pandemic. And then it was about shifting into now that people are more comfortable, we know that people want to get out there. How can we have our marketing message be impactful for them and and show them and demonstrate great ways that you can use your car. It can be used, you know, as a family, it can be something that's more of a personal journey when you're wanting some liberation and getting away from that computer. And so it really shifted that. And then there are all the behind the scenes of how we actually produce it, which is probably a whole other podcast in and of itself. (laughs) Um, But I would say it was moving away from just selling sheet metal and really into selling the customer experience. I think you hit on some interesting points, Alice, and one that I just want to run down the path a little bit. What is it, and this is what I'm going to ask you about, happened even pre-COVID. And what is it about car companies that they kind of fell out of love with what they made? You know, one of the most powerful parts about Nissan, for any Nissan people out there, Nissan lovers, is that this is a car company that loves cars. This is a car company that loves product, loves driving, loves design. But I think that a lot of car companies were sort of like, well, we're going to produce, you know, mass mobility as a service, you know, like we're going to become a tech company. What do you think about that? Did car companies fall out of love with cars? I don't think that car companies ever fell out of love with cars. I think what happens is I think sometimes there's such a focus on the sheet metal piece of it. I think as an automotive manufacturer, we are very good at producing the vehicles and we're also working on product life cycles, you know, that are several years out. And so I think sometimes through that process, 
we can be perceived as being late to some of the trends or not quite in line with where some of the trends are happening. And I think that's what's been really interesting over the last kind of year. And then I think COVID has accelerated a lot of behavior change internally. And I think that's really important is that we now have much more of a pulse on what consumers are needing. I don't think consumers have fallen out of love with their cars. I think mobility and the definition of that has expanded. And I think now it's gone back into personal ownership is still important. I think there will be probably levels of flexibility that's needed. And I also think the biggest difference, and this was happening before, and I think, and and at Nissan, we have a a response to it and a solution to it, is the car shopping and buying experience. Um, It's been very top down. It's one path. It hasn't been the most digital to date. And online retailing is not new. We all buy everything online now, but in the car world, it was actually relatively unheard of. And at Nissan, we had e-commerce efforts that were six months to almost a year out, and we accelerated those by a matter of weeks. Um, And so we immediately got into market with Nissan at home, which allowed for a much more robust experience for consumers to be able to do what we used to call kicking the tires, which was something that you would do at a dealership. You actually now can do all of that online and you can (laughs) begin to end fully online now, which is huge. And I think that's how not every consumer is going to want that. But now we provide that experience for people that are comfortable to shop and buy that way. Yeah. Clicking the tires. Asha, that's a new one. That's it, right? We don't kick the tires. We click the tires. Kicking the tires. Yeah, now we click those tires. And I remember when I joined and I've been in the automotive industry 20 years now. And I remember when I joined, that was the phrase, it's butts and seats and kicking the tires. Yep. And, and it's, it's interesting, Allison, because again, you mentioned before, due to the pandemic, upwards of 30% of the dealers literally could not sell cars at the dealership. And so it's like when you talk about expediting something that was six months to a year out to literally a matter of weeks, I mean, that is a Herculean feat in and of itself, but it's like, you literally needed a car and you could not go to a dealership to yes. purchase a car in many places in the United States. Exactly. And I think in, in our dealers were, they were great partners with us on this. And, you right. know, it was to the point that in some states and especially on the East Coast, you couldn't retail physically, but you could start to retail virtually, which really started to shift the dynamics. And we spent a lot of time with our dealers kind of talking about how do you communicate? How do we reach people digitally? We set up this whole program with them with Facebook Live. And it was literally like, how do you shoot live content from your dealership? What is the type of lighting? What type of camera do you need? What is the type of script that you need to have? How do you answer questions that are happening in real time? And I think that is so much more of what consumers are wanting before they actually take that step to take a physical test drive. And so I think it was kind of, I try not to use the word holistic because I feel like it's such marketing jargon, but it really was this holistic view of it is how do we really improve that shopping process and then ultimately the buying process to have much more flexibility based on what consumers are wanting. It's adapting, you know, into this new shift in consumer behavior but also reskilling, upskilling the the dealers themselves, right? I mean, these are folks that have been a lot of times in this business for decades. And so to have them understanding production and and lighting is is fascinating, right? Yeah. Uh, Really speaks to kind of the future of our industry. And want to just kind of ask you some questions about 
electric vehicles, which are all the rage right now. <laughs> <Very unfair. laughs> I feel like I can't open any publication or watch CNBC or you know Wall Street Journal without seeing something about that fun acronym of EV. So tell us a little bit about that. What, what does that mean for you, for Nissan? Yeah, I think this is another area of complete disruption, but it's not as new as some people think that it is. And I think a little bit of history is that Nissan actually had the very first electric vehicle and it was called the Tama, and this was decades ago. And so we have a very strong heritage and legacy in electric vehicles. We also, we launched the first mass produced electric vehicle, which is the Nissan Leaf, which just celebrated its 10th birthday last year. So we have this great heritage in electric vehicles. I think the big thing is, and what's happening overall at a macro level trend is that people are looking for more efficient ways to get from A to B. You know, the idea of the commute has been changing. I think the pandemic will continue to evolve that. There aren't going to be, you know, in some cases, they're probably going to be, and they're in different pockets of the country. That commute is going to be a little bit shorter than it was before. There's going to be more flexibility when it comes to work from home. And so those long commutes, chances are that those aren't going to be, you know, the same way, you know, in the future than they were in the past. And I also think that people are looking for a much more, sustainable way for them to drive as something that's more environmentally friendly. We know that climate change is really top of mind for a lot of consumers, especially younger consumers. And so they're looking to companies and manufacturers like automotive companies on how can they provide that. For Nissan, obviously we have this amazing legacy. We are always on top and and keeping track of all of the trends. We have advanced planning as well as, you know, kind of our midterm and immediate planning. And we're constantly updating that based on what these consumer trends are in vehicles, in powertrains, and what that looks like and how that affects our product portfolio. One of the most amazing products that we have coming, which is going to be launching later this year, is the Aria. And the Aria is an all-electric crossover, and it is everything that you're looking for in a vehicle. It is all-electric. It is in a crossover body style, so you have more functionality. You have a little bit more utility with it, but you still have really great performance. I think one of the most amazing things and kind of the most wondrous things about the Ari is actually the interior. It is so serene, which is what you're going to get in an electric vehicle. It's beautifully designed. It has all of the technology. The screens are able to adapt. You're able to kind of have this very serene and and Japanese inspired environments, which I think just is what people are looking for, especially when there's a lot of noise going on around them before they actually get into the car. So that's what we're excited about. And, you know, we're continuing to look at what our future electric vehicles are going to be. I can't spill the beans on any of that right now, but it's a exciting (laughs) future for electric vehicle at Nissan. By the way, one thing I think that you know you mentioned, and I think is powerful about Nissan the company, Nissan the brand, is you know the Leaf is celebrating its tenth anniversary. Now, if you would look at the Super Bowl, it was like all of a sudden, you know, some of the competitors finally got religion. Like, hey, we've got this new thing called EV. Well, yeah, Nissan was there in 1947, <laughs> <laughs> ten years ago. Yeah. My question for you though is, what is it about Nissan that the thinking is there 10 years before other brands. Yeah, this gets into the psyche of people that work here. We were founded in Japan and our founding fathers were, they had this idea of do what others don't dare to do. 
And we have maintained that spirit. And it's really about pushing the boundaries, pushing the industry when it comes to innovation, pushing the industry when it comes to different types of powertrains like electric, even when it comes to different vehicle segments. So when you think about the Xterra, that vehicle was basically our product planning team being like, there's a missing opportunity between these two vehicle segments. Let's concept a vehicle around that. And I think, you know, we've been pushing the boundaries when it comes to autonomous drive, which was available. It's available on many Nissans now. We have autonomous drive, which is in our ProPilot Assist on the all-new Rogue. And so I think we have that spirit. It's difficult to tell anyone from Nissan no, <laughs> that we can't do something. Um, and so, and I think that that's, that's how we started as a company. It's in our DNA, it's in our roots, it's in our blood. And that's just what's carried through, you know, through the ever changing environment that the automotive industry has been. Right. Yeah, I know that, that sort of one of the core visions of the company is, is innovation that excites, right? And it's not just technology for the bells and whistles, it actually has to make you feel something. It actually has to excite you. And I think to your point, that's something that really holds true throughout the history of the brand, right? Yeah, Yeah, exactly. And I think it's not just to say, okay, well, there's this, you know, incredibly complicated piece of technology that we put in the vehicles. It's more about what is the value and benefit to the consumer? How is it going to improve their overall experience in the Nissan? And that is at the core of it. And by the way, I think when, when we have this kind of sea of electric vehicle offerings, you know, the next couple of years, I think Nissan will always stand out. Sure, because they pioneered it. But on brand, this will be electric that makes you feel something. Yes. You know, that this will be, you know, the electrifying electric, whatever that's going to be. But yeah, I think that's great. Yeah. So, you know, Nissan right now is, is in the middle of a big brand transformation. So in early February, your team launched Nissan Next and the A to Z strategy, really announcing multiple new vehicle launches over the years. You mentioned 10 new cars in 20 months, many being over the course of the pandemic. Tell us a little bit about this big transformation. Sure. This has been part of our, I mentioned it a little bit earlier, but it's been our product offensive. So we launched 10 new products in 20 months. We essentially launched our entire A to Z lineup. And that, and it was called that because we launched the Aria crossover all the way to Z, which is our sports car. And so it was really the event that we had in February. It, it One thing it was going to be showing this entirely new refresh lineup, which was the first time that that had ever been seen to the public. But we were also revealing the all new 2022 Pathfinder which is this amazing mid-sized pickup truck. It is a cult favorite. It was getting a little bit long in the tooth. It needed a refresh. And we really came to the table with this amazing truck that's going to go on sale later on this year. And then we also launched the all new 2022 Pathfinder. So this is a complete redesign, top to bottom, inside and out. It has all of the latest and greatest technology. It has all of the performance and capability. And I think Pathfinder is also a cult favorite, especially when you think back to the 80s Pathfinder. And we are getting back to the ruggedness and the, the rugged capability of both the Pathfinder as well as the Frontier. And so I think that event was pretty amazing in that it was, again, the first time that we had this A to Z lineup. We also had the Aria the refreshed Armada, the refreshed Kicks, the all-new Rogue, the all-new Sentra, and then also the Z Proto. And so it was just kind of as an employee, you know, it was a little bit of a tearjerker for us to see this because we have been working on this for several years. And to see that lineup on stage, 
it was really great for us to see. And I think the press has received the vehicles very well. Both the Frontier and the Pathfinder are going to be going on sale later on this year. But it was a great way. And I think we saw a lot of engagement in social media. And I think a lot of that is because of this new product. And again, these are the cult favorites. And people are interested in it. They're interested in, in seeing what we have. And it's been really nice to get our groove back and bring this new product to the world. Very good. Well, listen, uh, I think that what's good about Nissan, too, is that, uh, like you said, there's a lot of cult products. So, uh, <laughs> you know, between Zs and GTRs and Pathfinder and Frontier and, yeah, of course, Xterra, amazing. Well, so that's why I think maybe, Ash, we should segue into Allison's journey a little bit yeah. because she wasn't born working at Nissan. You weren't? Had, what? No. I had a few, other, <laughs> a few other stops along the way. So, you know, Allison, maybe, maybe take us through, you know, a couple of significant points on your journey because I think we once talked, were you going to be a doctor at one point? An accountant. Okay, okay. I was going to be an accountant. <laughs> yeah, I knew so the data, I, yeah, I was, the the data was going to be. Um, that's what my dad wanted me to my be. My family is a doctor, and I, I wasn't interested in that. I, I don't. I didn't want to go to school that long. Actually, I think it's what it was. And so I had kind of a natural knack for numbers, and specifically finances and accounting. So I started out as an accounting major. I took an international advertising class my junior year in college. And it was just, a, it was a prereq, you know, I think I had delayed it a few, a little while and I fell in love. I absolutely fell in love with it. And I changed my major overnight. And my first job out of school was consulting for Mercedes Benz. And so through that, I consulted on marketing topics, but also just business topics. I worked with them in product management, which was their product planning team. I worked in certified pre-owned. I helped them set up business development centers and all of the communications that went around that. I set up their brand compliance program and I was the person that dealers would call if their local advertising violated the guidelines. So I spent, a, I had a lot of dynamic conversations with dealers <laughs> well throughout my career. So, you know, I spent a lot of time there. I really learned all aspects of the business because I was just working with all the different departments. I also led agency teams at BMW. There I did Super Bowl, which, and I had kind of those big sponsorships and Olympics and got that experience. And then I took a position leading Volvo's global agency team, where the global agency headquarters were based out of Amsterdam. So I moved to Amsterdam and led the team there. And it was, that was an amazing experience, you know, one, because I was in Sweden, you know, pretty much every week at Volvo, but also Amsterdam is this incredible creative community. And I learned a lot working with creatives from around the world. And from there, I got, a call, I always refer to it as, I got a call that, that was gonna change my life. I'd been consulting agency side and I got a call, um, they were recruiting for the head of marketing for Infinity. And it was just one of those things where it was just the right time. I was at the right point in my career. I had had overseas experience. I had done the big things. And I think more importantly, and for anyone that's agency side, you kind of understand this. Sometimes you felt really removed from the decisions. And I really wanted, I realized that I wanted to be the one that made the decision of what ended up actually in front of consumers. And so I took a position as the head of marketing for Infinity. We did some great work during the time there. We were able to really move the overall brand health. And then I was asked to take a global marketing position for Nissan, which was based out of our headquarters in Japan. So I was working in our global headquarters. I was the number two to the CMO. 
and I was based in Japan for two years and working with all the markets around the world and understanding what their marketing needs were. How can we support them at a global level? How can we drive, you know, strong creative strategy, strong media strategy? What does it mean when you're going to completely revolutionize your logo and how does that look across communications? So those were kind of the highlights. And then I came back here and it was, I had had all of that experience. I had taken on some pretty big challenges. I had done two overseas assignments and the US is one of the most important regions for Nissan as a company. And we really needed to be able to transform the brand, which is what I've been doing here over the last couple of years. And it's been an exciting journey. It's been exhausting at times, but I have an amazing team that we're all in this together. So it's been a fun journey. (laughs) I've enjoyed it. And I've learned, I've learned a lot along the way. Yeah. How about uh, about in terms of the, uh, by the way, thank you for sharing that. That, That's amazing. We're going to come back to some of those brands, but one thing I, I, didn't realize till the second, for whatever reason, uh, is just how many cities that you've lived in. So from Amsterdam to Tokyo to time in Yokohama to Nashville. I mean, maybe talk a little bit about, you know, how that works on a, on a, on a gal from Missouri. <laughs> it, was, it was interesting because um, I moved from Missouri to New York. And that was probably the biggest culture shock before I moved over to Japan. When I moved to Japan, Nissan's really great when you take foreign service assignments and that they actually have you meet with a sociologist and they talk about culture shock and they talk about, you know, what to expect, which is great. And I was kind of giving her my background because I went from Missouri to New York to Amsterdam to Nashville to Japan back to Nashville. And she was kind of like, you get culture shock. (laughs) Missouri to New York is culture shock. New York to Amsterdam, also culture shock. Amsterdam to Nashville, 100% culture shock. So you get it, your curve, and it, there's a culture shock curve, actually. She goes, wow. you'll still have it, but it's going to be shorter. And I think how I handle it is I think it's just the ability to adapt. And I think it's it's actually what you a really important thing that you need as a CMO is just you need to be able to adapt. Read the room, understand your audience. How do you adapt your strategy? How do you adapt your storytelling? And I think actually all of these different moves have made me a better marketer because I try to move that much faster and try to listen to what's going on and just quickly move through whatever those challenges are. Adaptability, I mean, that is crucial. You may have given a piece of advice just right there. And for, for our listeners who, who don't have the pleasure of, of seeing Allison right now, I mean, you hear all of these places she's lived, you hear all of these fascinating places she's worked, and you see her and you're like, oh, did you start this when you were 12? Like, <laughs> going on like you know we interviewed Roxy Young from Reddit a a while back and she was giving us her skincare tips and I was like Allison's probably been in there too (laughs) I mean it's 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 a lot I mean you've done so much and I mean you're relatively young a woman in a very senior leadership position in an industry as we talked about before that was once pretty much completely dominated by older men, you know, like if- Oh yeah, listen, what's a car guys? You know, it wasn't, you know, car guys and gals and car women, car guys, that's what it was. Yeah, I mean, that that was, you know, the picture in the dictionary, so to speak, right? And, and so I'm curious in terms of, you know, you talked about this professional journey that you've had and being adaptable. What are some challenges that you really had to face due to being such a different, 
space, if you will, in that industry. And, you know, also, do you currently still face challenges, particularly related to being a woman? I think this is a, it's an interesting question. And I think it's, it's important as it's Women's History Month, and it's always good to kind of reflect back on this. I think I was very fortunate in that I had people, they were men, that really kind of helped support me throughout my career. And they were people that I could go to for advice and mentors. And so I had people that saw potential in me and that helped me grow and develop. And I think that that really served me very well. And it's something that I think about a lot and I try to give that back and I I try to also do that as well. I've been very ambitious my whole life. And, you know, sometimes it's just about managing your ambition with what expectations are and and kind of when is the right time for you to be in some of these positions. And I think that's, you know, that's sometimes that's been a painful learning process. And other times when you get it right and you, you know, as an example, when I, when I took my first client side job, it was the right time. I was ready. I had the leadership experience. I was ready to be able to handle the responsibility and being the decision maker and everything that comes into that. So I think that's part of it. I think some of the challenges, I wouldn't say that it's necessarily more challenging to be a woman. I don't know what it's like to be a male in the industry. I just know that it's different. You know, you're not going to have as many of you at the table. I feel like there is a little bit of, you know, you need to make sure that your voice is heard. And how do you do that influentially? So people are going to be receptive to whatever that message is going to be. You know, every once in a while, there's going to be someone that's like, oh, women shouldn't be in cars and things like that. And then you just have very data oriented conversations about that and kind of explain the points of view. I think what is great right now is that people are so receptive to having multiple points of view and bringing that to the table. And there is so much commitment to that. So that to me is what has been really promising. Yeah. And, and, you know, you mentioned something that I can particularly relate to being a woman and also in my case, being a woman of color. And a lot of times you don't necessarily see yourself around the table as much. And Nissan definitely has a number of initiatives connected to diversity, whether it's through supplier diversity, you know, a commitment through multicultural and advertising and things like that. And would love to understand kind of a, what those things are. And, and do you think that your position being someone who's not always at the table has maybe influenced your desire to maybe elevate some of those things. Yeah. And I, and I think, uh, you know, what we're doing on the Nissan side, and I think we're, we're taking this on and it's a commitment, you know, all the way from the top of the company is really how do we expand and get a more representative group of leadership at the table as we're making some of these decisions on the marketing side, I, you know, it has to do with, it's not enough to just target people of color or multicultural groups. It's actually putting money behind it. And, and how do we support production companies and directors? And how do we get people who haven't been able to have these opportunities in the past because of visibility? How do we help them and give them visibility? So I think that's been a big thing that we've been doing on our side is how do, for, for me, what I'm trying to lead with my team is how do you do this in front of the camera as well as behind the camera. And I think behind the camera is really where systemic change can happen. Yeah. For me, you know, my big thing is that I don't think that girls don't aspire to be something that they don't see. And people of color don't aspire to be something that they don't see. And so part of my job is also being very visible within the company, being visible outside of the company and letting people know that this is something that we are committed to. I'm an example of our commitment to that. 
And there is a support structure that's here in place if you want to advance to leadership levels of the company. And so I think it's about walking the walk and just really pushing to do what's right. And when you are confronted with conversations that maybe are a little bit outdated in their thinking, making sure that it's coming through with data and providing the reasons why it's important for our consumers, why it's important for our employees. And those conversations are, are always very well received. That sounds like Rob's dog also agreed with you there. So <laughs> he was, Listen, she is uh, a lady herself and uh, she was happy to see that, you know, women are being represented. <laughs> By the way, you know what? She likes to hang her face out of the window in the car. So, <laughs> I mean, what dog doesn't? I mean, I, I want to do that sometimes. <laughs> Good. Listen, old school Nissan. Don't forget, dog. Windows down. I, I get it. I get it. Don't forget, dogs love trucks. We know that. That, that is right. Dogs do love trucks. Next <laughs> campaign or? <laughs> That's it. Rob is referencing an, an old campaign that Nissan did. Indeed. So, so but before we go to your piece of advice, you've worked on a number of great brands. You mentioned Mercedes and, and BMW and what have you. Of all the brands you've worked on, what's your favorite and why is it Nissan? Me, <laughs> <laughs> I have. I mean, I've I've been lucky that I have worked on very strong brands, and I've worked I worked on brands that are very rooted in branding, um, which I think is, is always good experience. I love Nissan because I think there's, I have that spirit of do what others don't dare to do. And that feeling is here. And it's a group of us that are just really trying to push. We're pushing the industry. We're trying to, to push some of the conventions of automotive. And I think I have a home here in that. And there's a family and there's a group of people that are like-minded and thinking about that. I also, you know, and I've had incredible experiences with the brand and I, and I've also seen kind of what's coming up in our future. And this is, even when I was in Japan, our head of design, Alfonso Albaiza, was sharing with me what is basically was Nissan Next, which was the A to Z lineup. And I saw that a few years ago. And it just, you know, it, it was just mind blowing to me how all of these model changes happened at once. We won't get into why it happened all at once because that's not really the typical thing that happens. But for it to get done is a feat in and of itself. And I know where our future is going. I know that it's very promising. We have incredible products and we have the leadership that's going to bring it to the market. And I'm excited to be a part of that leadership team. That's awesome. Great. Okay. One more question before we get to advice, Rob. So, <laughs> okay. <laughs> so I come from a Nissan family, you know, we had nice. Altima's, Maxima's, Pathfinder's, Murray the Murano, we named him. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, the Z, which we affectionately called the Z is fast every time we, we <laughs> Z is fast. We taking the Z is fast today. Um, so <laughs> I'm curious, uh, what do you drive and what's your favorite car in the lineup? Right now I drive an Infiniti Q60. So it's a sports coupe. It was one that I launched right before I moved to Japan. So I, I didn't get to drive it that much because it, it launched right before I had left. So I have that car now. My favorite car is Nissan 300ZX Turbo. And it is a family car, actually. It's the first car that I ever learned how to drive a manual transmission on. That was painful for myself and my boyfriend at the time. <laughs> <laughs> and I think it was my brother, so painful for him, too, because I'm sure the transmission would, would never be the same. But we got there. We got there. I just, I loved the styling of it. I loved how you could have an accessible sports car 
And I, I loved the way that it made me feel. It made me feel powerful. It made me feel confident. It made me feel sexy being able to drive that car. And we still have that car in our family. And now it's now my nephew's. Um, wow. So that wow. is, that's my favorite car. Wow. Nissan ZX, uh, <laughs> 300DX Turbo. Wow. wow. And, and by it the way, a uh, white exterior, red interior, T-tops. It was oh, nice. all Oh, and, uh, and 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 the hero of a famous uh, Super Bowl commercial, right? Uh, Z Dreamer. Yes, yes. That is correct. Which recently kind of made a little bit of a surprise appearance in my LinkedIn feed, actually. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, okay, okay, last, last, last. I promise, because you just mentioned about feeling so powerful in the vehicle, and you literally made such a big move in your role of casting a actual movie star superhero, Brie Larson, as the face of many of some recent campaigns. You know, she yeah. was obviously in Centra. She made a surprise wink at the end of one of the latest Nissan Rogue commercials. And I'm just curious, you know, obviously Brie Larson, for those who don't know, obviously she's in the Avengers, but she's also a gender equality activist as, as well. And I'm curious as to A, why did you make the decision to cast her? And B, should audiences expect to see her again in any upcoming spots? Oh. Interesting. <laughs> so I think we cast her, it, first it, it was driven by the creative. The agency, TBWA, came to us with some really interesting creative for our central spot. And this was, you know, a little over a year ago. And we had a hero, the hero, you know, they had proposed to be a woman. And we were looking for somebody that was going to be very confident and be able to tell a product story, but also give some mentorship advice to someone who was just getting ready to compromise on something. And so we were thinking, we wanted to make sure that we brought in, you know, who could represent that. And Brie was, she was first, you know, top of mind with this. And so I think what we really liked about Brie is we liked that she hasn't compromised in her career. Yeah. She is always pushing for diversity. She is pushing for underrepresented groups. She really is kind of out there talking about equality. And I think she's also, she's walking the walk when it comes to that as well. And, and how does she do that? Um, and how does she lend her voice and her platform to that? So I think we thought it was great. I think creatively she fit perfectly with it. And then over time, we kept, you know, through discussions on Centra, it was clear that there was a, a long-term partnership with Brie that we all wanted to explore. So we, we have explored that. We announced that she is going to be our brand ambassador. That was back in November when she was in our Rogue Spot. And you will see her coming very soon, very, very soon, in some new brand work that we're gonna be launching in the coming days, actually, in the coming kind of couple of weeks. Okay. So you will see her, she is our brand ambassador. She's gonna be helping us tell our brand story, both where we've been as a brand over the history of the company, as well as where we're going into the future. Not, uh, not gonna lie here, I saw the rough cut and it looks amazing. Yeah, it's, you know, it's, I, yeah, it, I, it kind of, the creative process blows my mind sometimes. And I just, I have to give a shout out because we finished filming that a week ago, Sunday, and I saw a rough cut on Tuesday and it was, you know, it's rare that rough cuts are strong kind of in the first go. And it was, it, I, we all just sat back and were like, that's exactly what we were wanting. That's exactly the vibe. This is the story that we wanted to tell. And it was, I love the creative process. Oh, wow. Well, I, I, I love it when we get that reaction from the clients. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> I hope we get that from our listeners too. So to everybody listening to this, please. Yeah. Oh, very well. Good. Good. Yes. All right, Asha, so what do you think? A little advice? Yes. So Allison, 
please leave us with some advice that you would give to professionals who are looking to make transformational changes to their business in these transformational times that we're living in. So I think it was, um, I'll do a professional one and then I'll also do a personal one too. Right. So I think professionally, you know, for me, be able to adapt. I think the role of the CMO is changing so fast and it isn't about, it, it still is important, you know, but the days of it only being, you know, what the TV spot is about, those days are gone. It's how do you reach consumers? How do you reach them with impact? How do you do that efficiently and effectively? Because we're all getting pressure from all different sides of the organization. And I think things are changing really quickly in consumer behavior. They're also changing from a regulatory standpoint when you think about privacy and what does that mean in this digital world. And so I think, you know, the need to adapt in this idea of being really curious, you know, curiosity and adaptation are really important things as a CMO in my mind. So just make sure that you hold on to that. Don't, don't let anyone take that away from you. And then on the personal side, and everyone struggles with the balance of, you know, work, work and personal life, you know, does it exist? Does it not exist? All those things. And COVID I think has, you know, kind of created even fewer boundaries. And I guess my advice would be create your boundaries. No one is going to do them for you. You can't expect them to do it because they're not. If you don't set up those boundaries, it's just not going to happen. So you are in charge of managing how hard you go, you know, your management of burnout, that is on you. And so you have to create those boundaries. That's good. Awesome. Allison, first off, thank you so much for being here. You've been a phenomenal guest. But more importantly, thank you for throwing away your accountant career. (laughs) You are bringing very good things to the world of marketing and to the uh, automotive world. So thank you for uh, throwing away that slide roll. <laughs> thank you. Thank you, guys. <laughs> thank you so much, you know, for being an inspiring force out here in the world of marketing. You know, I definitely get the pleasure and privilege of sometimes being in meetings with you. And, and I will say I am taking notes. So <laughs> thank you. <laughs> thank you. This is great. I, lo- I love this. I love these conversations. So very, very honored to be a part of the Disruptor series. Thank you for listening to the Disruptor Series podcast, Adweek's Agency Podcast of the Year. Craving more disruption? Visit us at tbwashydayny.com.